Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, I am Seth Liebson. David's at the controls, uh, associate producing, but fully uh, pro tem producing today. 602 is the number. Anything on your mind, we're here for you for just exactly that. The big news we were covering in the uh, last uh, hour was, uh, of course, uh, the Chicago election. I think we had a slightly different take on it than most. If you missed it, you can get it at 960thepatriot.com. And uh, this argument, of course, before the Supreme Court yesterday on the student loan forgiveness. It is, we just talked with Brett Johnson about the legal or constitutional legal abs, as, aspects of it. And it's really there's this great line in The Great Gatsby. I was amazed at the elaborateness of the lie. I am amazed at the elaborateness or at least at the um, temerity of the administration thinking it can just, with the sweep of a pen, with the signing of a pen, wipe out $400 billion in debt. It is an amazing thing to think about. Brett got into this a little bit. People who you know, have the student loan debt that we're supposed to pay for. And all of this kind of comes to us at the same time when two things are happening not in congruence with each other. The major effort in elementary and secondary education is college career readiness, getting people prepared for colleges, while at the same time, it seems to me, a lot of us, a lot more of us, are questioning the value of a college education and thinking, well, maybe college isn't exactly the thing we should be gearing all of elementary and secondary education for. We were talking yesterday about the shortage of electricians in this country. Shortage of electricians. Plenty of electricians have uh, higher education, but it's not required. And are we teaching that anymore? Are we teaching uh, what we used to call vocational and technical education anymore? No, we are not. In fact, we're sneering at it, as we've sneered at it from sort of a supercilious or elite perspective for way too many decades now. And we find this another reason in our ever-growing tote board of why we can't have nice things, why things kind of continue to seemingly suck around here. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today. Everything just kind of seems not to be going great right now, doesn't it? A lot. We can't get people to do things we used to not even think twice about, if once. But, as one story in the Wall Street Journal on the shortage of electricians put it yesterday, in one big city in New York, there's a six-month wait. A six-month wait to get an appointment with an electrician. Now think about this in California, where there's a huge shortage of electricians as they're pushing towards more and more electric retrofitting. And then yet there's a third wheel that's not connecting to the teeth of the other wheels. A third wheel. Just when we are needing and requiring more and more people with what we used to call hard sciences or hard, hard, harder pieces of knowledge, harder, harder learning lessons, just as we're doing that, we're watering down math. Do you see the story of this school? In Pennsylvania, it's proposing a math curriculum at the elementary levels on how you feel about math is the, is the course and curriculum and textbook. I mean, 
we're watering down that which we need the most and we're elevating that which we don't need the most of right now while at the same time costing all the people who are hard at work or at least doing everything they can to make their ends meet and pay taxes, take care of those people who have student debt they amassed and can't pay back either due to irresponsible decisions or just plain desire. Remember last year when Nancy Pelosi was saying, well, we're talking about helping someone out, average college debt, being around the, per- the average person who would get relief under, under this plan is suffering from about $10,000 in college debt, and that's holding them back from, as she said, getting married and moving on with their lives. If Not to be in any sense elitist about this, but I got to tell you, if $10,000 in debt is keeping student debt, student college loan debt, if 10000 which you can pay off over time, by the way, and over time you reduce that 10000 subsequently every quarter, if not every month, but certainly every year, it's less and less. If $10,000 is holding you back, $10,000 going in the southern direction, heading ever closer towards zero, over time, if that's holding you back, again, not to be elitist, but might you not have bigger problems that shouldn't be the responsibility of someone else? I think this whole thing is out of whack. Anyway, um, just just some thoughts I had that I wanted to revisit on the issue, ever nettlesome issue of education and higher education. And I'll, reissue, I'll, I'll restate this observation from yesterday as well. It was amazing to me how much you saw two things being protested in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C., it's not that hard to get people to come and protest. Certainly a lot of people get paid to protest. But sometimes you can tell when it's organic, or if not organic, at least truly emotional, sincere. Let's put it that way. The protest is sincere. You may not agree with it, but it's sincere. There were two protests yesterday that just gobsmacked me um, with their level of vociferousness, their level of volubility. One was in front of the Supreme Court, Randy Weingarten and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and other members of the squad, I think maybe Cori Bush, screaming about how, uh, how wrong it was for the Supreme Court to be even questioning this erasure of $400 billion of student loan debt. It is interesting to me that they got so emotional about that. But then it dawned on me, you know, there's something in back of that emotion, something animating and energizing emotions over something that seems kind of technical and kind of economic oriented. It's that second part. It's the economic oriented. It's this notion that the government should be able to do anything with the sweep of a pen that expands government, but more importantly, redistributes money. I'm not going to say redistributes wealth. I think we should retire that phrase, quite honestly, because we're not redistributing wealth. We are, but that's not the big concern. We're redistributing everyone's money. There's there's nothing in the law that says we're going to refund this $400 billion or wipe out this $400 billion from just the taxpayers who constitute the top 1% or 10%. It's all our tax dollars going to this. And you will not see protests in front of the Supreme Court that emotional. I have not 
anyway, on issues, anything on, on any other kinds of issues, perhaps save, you know, the issue of um, abortion. You didn't see these kinds of protests over the affirmative action plans that were the Asian students are suing Harvard and the University of North Carolina on. You didn't see that kind of volubility and emotional distress from the left on those kinds of things, the kinds of things you really think of as cultural issues. And it dawns on me it's because to the progressive left, it is the redistribution of wealth that matters as much as, if not more than, anything else. The other protest that I was shocked at, and I don't know how many of you saw this last night, was the hearing from the Permanent Select Committee on China. Good for them for naming it the Select Committee on CCP, the Communist Chinese Party. Did you notice there were literal protesters, women, by the way, protesting hearings, those hearings with signs that said, leave China alone? Women. Women saying, leave China alone. Has the left and the liberal ethic in this country lost its entire sense of grounding and mores? Well, the truth is, Probably not. Probably not. The truth is, the kinds of things they used to stand for, like human rights, they don't stand for anymore. They stand, they stand for communism. They stand for Maoism. Why did they want the committee to leave China alone? Because they support China's government. That's why. Oh, and going to break, yeah, we can pick up on this fun question. What, are, what do you think, what movies have been most quoted? What movies do you think have the most popular quotes pulled out from them? I was postulating maybe maybe movies like Jaws or The Godfather. Uh, I'd be interested to know, what did you say? Did you have a candidate, too? You, oh, you said, what did you say, David? You had a nominee. I was in favor of The Godfather. That you were in wrong, favor yeah. of The Godfather. There's a few in there. Jaws. Anyway, what movie is the most quoted? And why did we say, how did we get onto that? Because I was quoting A Man for All Seasons, which I That's told you right. to watch because it has so many great quotes in it. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Sorry for taking a moment to come in. I'm just... <laughs> This is a funny alert world we live in. We've got a lot a lot we're dealing with. I say one thing about movies, and uh, the phone's lit up like a Christmas tree with people who want to <laughs> talk about movies. Fine. Vox Populi, Vox State. Dan is in Cave Creek. Hello, Dan. How are you? Oh, good. Good. Uh, yeah, you. nobody had mentioned uh, Casablanca, and that's got uh, quite a few... Uh, uh, You're absolutely quotable. right. Casablanca, we're talking... Yes, the question I posed, I guess it wasn't rhetorical given the response we're getting here. The question I had posed is what movies are the most quoted movies or what movies have the most quotes in them? Yeah, Casablanca, certainly. That's up there. You betcha. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know what didn't get said in Casablanca? What's that? Play it again, Sam. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I think he said you uh, played it for play her. It. You can play it you for me. You played it for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? But it was still quoted just incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. No one. Yeah, but that. But that line is not in that movie. Everyone quotes it from that movie, but it's not in there. Play it again, Sam. Right. 
Well, my my favorite quote is uh, "Round up the usual suspects." Yeah, of course, round up the or there's gambling going on here, right? Yeah, yeah. Good work, Dan. I've actually been to Rick's Cafe, the real one. Oh, yeah, it's in Morocco. I was I was there once about ten years ago. I can't ago. say I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not that impressive. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did it so you don't have to. You got anything oh, else for you. us? All right, fine. You got it. Well, just fine. Whatever you guys want. Brian is in Phoenix. Hi, Brian. Hey, Seth. How are you, man? I'm fine. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm sorry. I just had to. Uh, I just had to think about calling. It's in and, irresistible. And I get it. It's irresistible. I even. Oh my gosh! I have lawyer friends texting me right now. Things like Dirty Harry. Yeah. Okay. This. This is fine. Go ahead, Brian. You're in good company. I'm sorry, but I just had to bring up uh, Princess Bride. I mean, every line in that movie is something I quote, you know, regularly, just because it's just just so perfect. Uh, inconceivable. Absolutely. Or to to blave, which, of course, means to bluff. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, just, just hilarious And isn't, I mean, what's, just what's that one phrase, I don't think that word means what you think it does? Is that the phrase? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that means what you think it that's means. That's it, yeah. I think, I think they were trying to put that in the, uh, in the dictionary under inconceivable, but I don't, it I don't know. It was under inconceivable, it. right. You want to know a yes, little sir. secret, Brian? This will make you think less of me, probably. Probably. Okay. I have tried to watch that movie like 10 times and can't get through it. Huh. But well, this I may was... think this I may redeem myself with you with what I'm going to tell you next. Okay. I, I've actually patted Andre the Giant on the shoulder. Well, that's incredible. Did you need a step stool? No, I didn't because it was in his later days and he was hunched over a little bit. But, but for those that okay. don't know, he starred in The Princess Bride, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. And yes. everything Fezzik says is, is quotable as well. Well, say that again. Uh, everything, oh, he, yeah, say, his, everything he says. Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. yeah his, his character is Fezzik, and he's he's just, just great. Yeah. All right, Brian. Thank you, sir. Well, great. Thank you very much, yeah, Seth. Of Have course. a great day. All right. We will do one more of these. <clears throat> Brian, how are you? I guess your name has to be Brian to call in today. Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I did meet Andre the Giant uh, years ago back in the uh, early 90s. Oh, you met him, on, too? Uh, yes. Well, he was on, uh, he's the passenger on one of my airplanes. That's fine. So that no was, kidding. Very, very, no kidding. Very nice, uh, very nice guy. Very did he nice have guy. to have two seats or three or something? Yes, he did have two seats. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. he was he known always, to be a very nice in, guy. Huh? He always flew in first class anyway, so he was, you know, he had a big seat anyway. Did everyone know who but, he was? Uh, uh, yes, back then, yes, they did. Yeah, yes. yeah. But uh, I, as far as movies, uh, quotable movies, I'd have to say Mel Brooks's uh, Blazing Saddle. Well, okay, but you can't say any of it on the air. That's the problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I'm right. You know what? That movie, you couldn't make it today, obviously. I agree. There's a lot of great lines in there, a ton of great lines in there. And I used to remember watching that thing and just laughing so hard. And then I rewatched it. I don't know when the last time is you saw it. I rewatched it about three years ago, and it was ju- I was just cold to it for some reason. It just didn't do it yeah. anymore. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was anachronistic or something. When's the last time you saw it? I've probably seen it tw- ten oh. times. Oh my goodness, probably probably five years ago. I would have. To and say. was it as funny as you remembered it? I, I didn't think it was. I just didn't think it was as funny as I remembered. I, it I, I think. I think. Uh, you know, as as culture changes, yeah. comedy changes yeah. also. Yeah. So, uh, 
But the back, back in the day, it was. Uh, yeah, that was about <laughs> that was about the funniest thing. People tell me people are texting. Gosh, you guys are. Is no one okay? These people from. <laughs> Medical offices and law firms are texting me their answers to this question. I'm getting a lot of Monty Python here, Brian. I'm getting a lot of Holy Grail. Yes. Getting a lot from the Holy Grail. And then if you go to IMDb, which is the Internet Movie Database, I think, uh, you got to take it with a grain of salt. I'm really depressed over what they list as the most quotable movies. Their first one is The Princess Bride, so hats off to you. But then they kind of ruin it. Number two is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I don't want that. No. Uh, yeah, I no. don't. I don't want any of that nonsense. Uh, Finding Nemo, Toy Story, Napoleon Dynamite, Dynamite. No, no, no. That's not what we're looking no. for, right? No. All right, no. all right, brother. Anything else well, on the on the issues of the day? Uh, no, sir. Just uh, enjoy listening to your show every day. So <laughs> well, you're very, keep, keep up the great work. You're very, very kind. Thank you. Blazing Saddles. What can I tell you about Blazing Saddles? I do quote it a lot. Um, the good part, the clean parts. Uh, I knew Mel Brooks's son a little bit. I can tell you that, Max Brooks. And anything else I can tell you from that movie? No, except it's co-star Jonathan Hillerman, who I referenced in my monologue yesterday. Jonathan Hillerman, who played Mr. Johnson, and uh, I think he played, did he play Howard Johnson in Blazing Saddles? He played one of the Johnsons in Blazing Saddles. I quoted him yesterday from Magnum P.I. He was uh, Sergeant Major Higgins in Magnum P.I., which, and the reason I quoted him, all right, we'll get back onto the onto the more um, sublime here. The reason I quoted him is I was talking about the emasculation of the male in popular culture and how it's driven by the cultural elites and how they are now trying to have an evolving James Bond as they're rewriting Ian Fleming's books. But, you know, they did that to the remake of Magnum P.I. Um, they made Higgins, who was in the original series, a World War II vet who was part of the code of honor that all these military veterans lived by in the show. He's now a woman. He's now a woman in the new Magnum P.I., which really is not a new Magnum P.I. They don't even have the comma in the title sequence. All right. We'll get back to uh, more news of the day when we come back. Or whatever you want. It's your show. Open line. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Do you notice in his State of the Union speech, Joe Biden last month doubled down on his spending plans, adding even more to the federal deficit? And that doesn't bode well for the value of your money. Joe Biden's disconnected view of the economy means there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash, reserves, and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold. The only company, Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already know, the Midas Gold Group. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Of a recession. Don't let Joe Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group by giving them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000, or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Did any of you watch these hearings on China last night? This was a primetime set of hearings on the Select Committee at Communist Chinese Party that is long overdue. We'll talk to John Shattuck a little bit about it later and get his take. But 
I just didn't see that much written up about it. I didn't see anything on it in the New York Times. I didn't see anything on it in the Washington Post. As I was mentioning in the previous segment or two, it was interesting. I did see protesters there from the liberal left, protesters there from the liberal left who said, leave China alone. Why? Why leave China alone? China's not leaving the world alone. It's not leaving its people alone. I was looking at the testimony of H.R. McMaster, former national security advisor. Just give you a little portion of it. The stakes he testified are high as the CCP, the Communist Chinese Party, is intensifying efforts to extend and tighten its exclusive grip on power internally and gain preponderant power externally through a campaign of co-option, coercion, and concealment. China co-ops countries, international corporations, and elites through false promises of impending liberalization, insincere pledges to work on global issues such as climate change, and especially the lure of short-term profits, access to the Chinese market, investments, and loans. Co-option includes debt traps set for corrupt or weak governments. Co-option makes countries and corporations dependent and vulnerable to coercion. The party coerces others to support or at least ignore its efforts to extinguish human freedom internally, as it did in the cases of the National Basketball Association, Nike, and many other companies. And the CCP applies coercive power to force companies and countries to submit to Chinese demands and support the CCP's worldview and violent self-conception as a one-party nation with no room for ethnic plurality except on its own rigid terms. Thank God H.R. McMaster and someone is talking about this. And thank God we're shedding light on these corporations and industries and institutions like the NBA and Nike that are profiting off slavery, current modern-day slavery, while they lecture us about us having ended it over 150 years ago. And they're taking in hundreds of millions and billions. And by the way, spending money, Nike, the NBA, they're spending money on K Street lobbyists in Washington, D.C. to stop any legislation at all that tries to curb some of these depredations in China. People will remember, this is, I mean, the notion, you want, okay, human rights. Shall I talk about human rights for just a moment and what's going on in China? How about this story? The students booked their tickets home at the end of the semester, hoping for a relaxing break after exams and a summer of happy reunions with family in China's far west. Instead, they would soon be told that their parents were gone. Relatives had vanished and neighbors were missing, all of them locked up in an expanding network of detention camps built to hold Muslim ethnic minorities. The authorities in the Shenzhen region worried the situation was a powder keg, and so they prepared. The leadership distributed a classified directive advising local officials to corner returning students as soon as they arrived and keep them quiet. It included a chillingly bureaucratic guide for how to handle their anguished questions, beginning with the most common, where is my family. Students coming home to China in the Shenzhen province having to ask, where is my family? They were disappeared. They were put in modern-day concentration camps. Same province the NBA ran basketball camps in. Same kind of labor that Nike is dependent upon. And they, along with Colin Kaepernick, their million-dollar-a-year spokesman, lecture us about human rights here. Shame on them all. Shame on them all. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I was just looking at this piece Ron DeSantis had in today's Wall Street Journal, Why I Stood Up to Disney. And it's interesting, um, not for what he says. It's it's a bit technical, uh, uh, in fact, about what he said. And he does get into the political values in that fight, of course, and good for him for doing it. But the tax zone that he was talking about is, is a little more technical than some of the stuff you were more familiar with. But he does talk about the wokeism of their agenda, uh, the left's woke agenda, as fully embraced by companies like Disney. And after I read it, I went over to the Washington Post. There's an interesting op-ed in there at the Washington Post today by their columnist, one of their columnists, Perry Bacon, and it's Black Lives Matter versus the 60s Civil Rights Movement. And I thought I was going to read something that I might actually agree with, given that title. But instead, what this person does is compare favorably and analogously what the 60s Civil Rights Movement was and what the Black Lives Matter movement was here starting about 10 years ago, but really reaching its apex of force over the last two years or three years. And I have a really hard time thinking these people know their history when they write this kind of crud. First of all, speech after speech and sermon after sermon, Martin Luther King not wanting an affiliation with the black power movements that the Black Lives Matter so clearly and conscientiously tied itself to. Of course, in this op-ed, not a word about the massive fraud or the self-declared Marxist objectives and training that its founders had. But this is the quote that really bothered me the most in the op-ed in the Washington Post. This is a quote from... One Nyla Summers, who's evidently the co-executive director of the Florida-based activist group Dream Defenders. Listen to the quote. We used to have water hoses. We used to have Jim Crow and segregation laws. Now we have Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis using the word woke as his southern strategy. And that's very hard to combat. Can we break this down? Can we break this down? We used to have water hoses. We used to have Jim Crow and segregation laws. And now we have Ron DeSantis using the word woke as his southern strategy. You've heard me bewail the notion that words can be violence. But here is a perfect example of it in sharp relief. Analogizing the word woke, the use of the word woke, just the use of the word woke, to water hoses and segregation actual physical things, things that could put you in the hospital or in the grave if it came to water hoses. When it came to segregation laws, probably nothing more odious I can think of in most of your lifetimes or our parents' lifetimes. Being compared to the use of the word woke, just the use of the word woke, 
And then there's this weird part. Ron DeSantis is now using the word woke as his southern strategy. Do people even know what that means? Southern strategy? Claremont Review of Books, Steve Hayward and others have done a good job. I, I, I won't get into it too terribly deeply right now. But these series of myths around what was considered the Southern strategy, which is code for how the Republicans got more and more of the South, the Southern states, into their fold. And what the serious history will show is, and what, if you think about it, most of you would recognize just in the history that transpired in your lifetime, is far from an exploitation of race in going after southern states which were in the lock grip of the Democratic Party for so long, is that these transfers of the southern bloc states to the Republican Party happened as segregation was ending and as, lack of a better word, race relations were liberalizing and opening up and federal laws were and civil rights laws were taking place. Keep in mind, please, when we talk about Southern strategy, please keep in mind that even the man we're kind of mindful of because he's in hospice care right now, Jimmy Carter started out as a Democratic segregationist and had to spend a great many speeches and a great much, a great amount of time in 1976 as a Democrat proving that he was no longer the segregationist he was earlier. And who was he running against for president in the Democratic primary that year? David, you got me one? Well, there were a couple in the yeah, primary. Yeah, give, give me one. Henry Jackson. Give me another one. Uh, George Wallace. There you go. Thank you. George Wallace. Perhaps one of the most famous segregationists of the 20th century. Democrat. Good for you for knowing Scoop Jackson, by the way. No Democrats like him anymore. Awful lot of Democrats like George Wallace, an unreconstructed George Wallace. He later would say he gave up and was forgiven for holding those segregationist views. This was a Democratic Party problem, not a Republican Party problem. And I don't know how use of the word woke compares at all to the use of fire hoses and black codes and Jim Crow segregation laws. This is redolent of Joe Biden last year saying the Republican Party was the party of Bull Connor and George Wallace and Jefferson Davis, which is historically illiterate. They were all Democrats, all of them. All of them were Democrats. This was not a Republican Party problem. I have my problems, a lot of them. I spoke to some of them in my monologue in the first hour with race-based affirmative action. I think it's noxious. I also think it's invidious, to use Thurgood Marshall's phrase, when he was trying to strike it down in Brown versus Board as the lead attorney for the NAACP. But if you want to know when affirmative action and race-based affirmative action took off under whose administration that was, it was Richard Nixon's. It was Richard Nixon's. <clears throat> so these historically illiterate gaslighting op-eds that try and graft the BLM movement onto the best of the 1960s civil rights movement with such stupid, unlearned comments and, frankly, insulting comments. We used to have water hoses. Now we have Ron DeSantis using the word woke. 
as his southern strategy. It should be insulting to have to even read that or to think that there are people in responsible roles of leadership or think tank dumb saying that. It's kind of like saying, I suppose, if you were a Jewish or a Holocaust survivor, that Donald Trump was worse than Adolf Hitler. Y'all probably have been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it could mean to invest with them, they would love it if you would give them a ring at 888-YREFI-34, and they'll put you in touch with any number of really satisfied customers and clients in the Phoenix area who have been happily investing with them. They'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing as well. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. 888-Y-Refi-34, or check them out at investyrefi.com. I'm just just so stuck on that op-ed in the Washington Post today about... Ron DeSantis's use of the word woke is the equivalent of fire hoses and Jim Crow segregation laws. The efforts that the left won't stop at to go after conservatives or Republicans... That's a perfect illustration, as they say, the use of the word woke is equivalent to the fire hoses of the 60s of Bull Connor. This is so Orwellian. This exploitation of race and language is so Orwellian. War is peace, right? Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. As I like to say, we, we have our versions of this now. Speech is violence. Use of the word woke is equivalent to unloading fire hoses. Real violence, by the way, is mostly peaceful, if we're talking in the context of Black Lives Matter riots. Peacefully marching is considered insurrection. Gender changing is now called gender affirming. And if you listen to Ibrahim Kendi or Robin DeAngelo, they will tell you colorblindness is racism, whereas discrimination is anti-racism if it's discrimination on behalf of the right race. And if you listen to Joe Biden, or what was her name, who ran for governor of Georgia, what was her name? Voter suppression means more, Stacey Abrams, voters suppression means more voters voting. And I have no idea what build back better means anymore. But you tell me if this country's doing better on any front whatsoever. In fact, let me give you the number and line you up for the top of the next hour. Name me one thing Joe Biden has made better. Name me one thing that's gotten better in this country since Joe Biden's become president. We'll go right to your calls if you want. 602-508-0960. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. <laughs> 